This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Holy Spirit, we would invite you uh, to stir. We know you're here. Would you stir us? Would you shake us a little bit? Would you change us more into the image of Jesus during our time together? It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Back in 1989, there was um, a wonderful blockbuster movie that was uh, released by the name of Weekend at Bernie's. Um, Maybe not a wonderful nor a blockbuster, but it was a movie that was released. 1989, you may be familiar with it. The plot lines follows um, two young executives as uh, they're working for their boss named Bernie, and he invites them to come and spend the weekend at his beach house. Well... Shortly into the trip, Bernie dies of a drug overdose, or so they presume, and, and so these two young men spend the entire weekend um, propping Bernie up. Uh, they take him to different parties, they take him to dinner, they take him all around the beach, they take him all sorts of places, and it's a comedy, it may seem a little morbid, it is a comedy, and there are some fairly funny scenes. As I was studying this passage of scripture this week, I started to wonder how many of us, if the truth were to be told about us, sort of view the Holy Spirit a little bit like Bernie. We want him there. Uh, We want him to show up at least in some form and or fashion, but we're a little bit more comfortable with him dead. (laughs) Where we get to prop him up. We get to dress him. We get to tell him where to go. We get to tell him how to behave. We get to tell him the things that he can do and the things that he can't do, the places he go, can go and the places he can't go. I think a lot of us, if we're to be honest, we sort of like the Holy Spirit version of Bernie a little bit better than we like the biblical version, <laughs> I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and we commonly referred to ourselves as the frozen chosen. That's not relegated to one denomination, let's be honest. A lot of us are a little bit more comfortable with the Holy Spirit who's dead and Bernie-like rather than alive and moving. See, when things are alive, we have expectations. Our expectations are interaction. Our expectations are some form of connection. Our our expectation is relationship. And and as followers of Jesus, we often use this term that, that Christianity isn't religion. It's about relationship. But when it comes time to really put the rubber to the road and say, God, we believe that you are alive and that you're here. I wonder how many of us default back to Bernie Holy Spirit. We'll prop him up. We'll give some lip service. He's, he's here, he's present. But man, we don't want him to move a whole lot. We don't want him to sort of mess with our schedule a whole lot. Francis Chan, a few years ago, released a book entitled The Forgotten God. It was all about the Holy Spirit. And I think in some ways he's right. I think we've largely neglected 
this integral piece of the triune Godhead that is followers of Jesus, we wrap ourselves around in worship. Well, the question is why? I mean, why would such a beautiful, life-giving gift from God be relegated to Bernieism in so many churches and so many lives of Christians? Well, well, let me propose two reasons um, that maybe this has a tendency to lean in this direction. One would be the system of thought that many of us are entrenched in and living in. It's called modernism. Now, modernism um, has an appreciation for objective things, things we can um, measure. In fact, we love the scientific method where things are um, observable, measurable, and repeatable. The Holy Spirit is... None of those. Uh, we like things we can control. We like things we can explain. Now, I, don't hear me arguing for postmodernism. Uh, I'm not. I'm simply saying that we might not want to hitch our wagon to one system of thought. I don't necessarily want to go back to premodernism either. I simply want us to be aware of the world in which we live that says, let's have things we can measure and objectify, and if we can't, they can't be true. The second reason is um, you probably and I have been a part of churches and um, circles of people that have, let's be honest, abused the Holy Spirit. That this beautiful, wonderful gift of God was used for manipulation. We hoped he would do something and show up in a certain way, and so we sort of made it happen. It's Bernie, but it's Bernie dancing. But it's the same. Uh, A few years ago, I saw a terrifying movie by the name of Jesus Camp. It was a documentary that that followed this um, camp in North Dakota where kids would come and they were indoctrinated into what it meant to be sort of slain in the spirit. Uh, Let's just say if I wasn't already a follower of Jesus, it would not have convinced me. But I want to invite you, if I could, to put those wrestlings aside for a moment this morning. I know that's difficult, but I want to invite you, could we, for, for the next few minutes together, can we just go to God's word and say, God, would you, would you speak? In all the different things that are going on in our culture, in our lives, the preconceived notions that we have when we come to your word, the things we come saying you need to do these things and you can't do these things, the burning Holy Spirits that we often grab onto Could we just for a moment go to God's word this morning and trust that the Holy Spirit's alive? Will you look up at me for just a second? What if, what if being a follower of Jesus transcends a cognitive agreeing with a certain set of objective truths and actually invites us in to relationship with the living God. What if? I love the way that C.S. Lewis in his great book, Miracles, states this fear when he writes this. An impersonal God, he writes, well and good. A subjective God of beauty and truth, goodness inside our own heads, better still. A formless life force surging through us, a vast power which we can tap into best of all. 
but God himself. Alive. The hunter, the king, the husband. Well, he says that's quite another matter. There comes a moment when the children who've been playing at burglars hush suddenly. Was that a real footstep in the hall? There comes a moment when people who've been dabbling in religion, man's search for God, suddenly draw back, supposing we really found him. We never meant it to come to that. We're still supposing he found us. So we sit on this like this precipice this morning. Say, are, are we going to play church? Are we going to engage the living God? Are, are we just going to camp in the realm of objective reality, things we can measure, things we can observe, things we can sort of name and control? Or will we say to God, God, we believe that you are alive and that you are spirit and that you are present. You have a choice to make. Will you press into this invitation from the scriptures or will you, as Lewis writes, draw back? Can I, can, I, can I invite you to push in? I have two goals for this morning. I have two goals for this morning. One, I want to teach you how to speak in tongues. <laughs> and two, I want to convince you that you are, in fact, Pentecostal Christians. Now, before you scream out if your theology says you should, yes and amen, finally Paulson, or grab your Bible and get ready to walk out, I promise I will be an equal opportunity offender this morning. <laughs> Would you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2. We're going back to this story that we visited, this event we visited two weeks ago where um, Pastor Aaron and I taught on the cultural implications of Pentecost. And I want to look at it from a different angle today to ask God through his Holy Spirit and his word to reveal to us what it looks like to live as people who are, have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, and when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, quick time out. We know from our previous study that this is 120 believers. They're in an upper room. They've gathered together. They're praying. They're seeking the Lord. Pentecost was one of three pilgrim feasts that the Hebrew people celebrated. So, so People, Jewish people from all over the world would descend upon Jerusalem for these feasts and these celebrations. If you read through your Old Testament scripture, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26 verses 1 through 10 will sort of tell you a little bit what this celebration was like. The Jewish people still celebrate this today, uh, the Feast of Weeks or the Shabbat is what it's called. But this day, this same day, Pentecost, was actually the celebration of the giving of the law. It was the day that Moses received uh, uh, from God himself the commandments, the law on Mount Sinai. This was a big day for the Israelite, the Jewish people. And so they would gather together and they would celebrate it. Well, these believers are gathering together. They're in an upper room. They're praying. They're seeking God. Um, maybe they're seeking God for what he'd promised a few verses earlier in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
when Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. I wonder if this group of 120 gathers in this upper room and, and prays back this promise to God. May it be so. Maybe this would be the day. And suddenly, verse 2, suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the, Holy, as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the birthday of the church. You just read about it. It's the day the church, in many ways, is born. If there is no Pentecost, I would submit to you, we don't sit here this morning declaring that Jesus is Lord. It's a day that changed everything. Not some things, but everything. And notice what Dr. Luke tells us. He says, there's this room, there's these people, and then it seemed like a rushing wind. And it seemed like tongues of fire. You almost feel for him as he takes on this task of gathering information from different sources and trying to communicate it to people like you and I what this day might have been like. Um, I'm not saying that that kind of stuff doesn't happen today. Uh, we have people in this congregation, in this body, who would say, I've been a part of something like that. But what you read about, what you read about is God's manifest presence showing up. Both fire and wind are symbolic in the Old Testament of God's presence, his, his, his palpable person being there in their midst. And here's what you just read about. Not just the birthday of the church, but what scholars would call the inauguration of the new covenant. The inauguration of the new covenant <laughs> It was this promise that God gave to his people that he was going to interact with them in a different way, a more personal way. The prophets foretold it. The faithful looked forward to it. And this day, Pentecost, that you just read about was the day that God said what you've looked forward to, what you've anticipated for millennia. That day is now. New covenant. Listen to the way that the prophet Ezekiel writes about this promise in anticipation. He says, I will give them, God saying this to Ezekiel, I will give them one heart and I will put a new, what? Spirit within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their heart of flesh and I will give them a heart, remove the stone from their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. They will be my people and I will be their God. He says, I'll put a, a new spirit within you. I'll give you a new heart, that heart that's hard towards me, that's cold towards me. I'm going to replace that with a heart of flesh, one that responds to me, one that walks with me, one where he says Ezekiel points towards this day, and he says, at that point, you will really be my people. That day is now now what i mean how ironic or coincidental that's a better word how coincidental that god delivers to his people the law 
And then on the same day, his spirit. I mean, that's like a coincidence to end all coincidences, isn't it? I'm pushing a little bit. Maybe not a coincidence. Maybe God is saying there is a new way to interact with me. You can interact with me through law or you can interact with me through spirit. And a new day has dawned and a new invitation has been extended. You see, being a Pentecostal people is about receiving the invitation from God to be spirit-indwelt, spirit-empowered believers in Jesus. You're following along in your notes. This indwelling spirit that God gives, his spirit, his Holy Spirit, empowers and awakens God's people to live in his kingdom. You see, I think it's of the utmost importance that the Holy Spirit is not Bernie Lomax. Where we parade him around and we dress him up and we invite him to come and come and we, we prop him up in the front row as if he needs that. No, friends, he's alive and he is well. And notice what Luke, Dr. Luke, writes when he recounts this event. He says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the tongues of fire rested on each one of them. See, this new day dawns, and this new invitation from God is extended to be and live in his new covenant. And it's not just an invitation for some, but it's an invitation for all. For every single person who would put their faith and their hope in Jesus. You see, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, God would place his spirit on typically leaders in order to accomplish certain tasks. It would be a temporary resting on them. So that's why in Psalm chapter 51, David can say, Lord, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He knows it's unique and he knows it's potentially temporary. You never have to pray that prayer. This invitation to be new covenant believers is not only for everybody, but it's for all time. It's permanent. See, in the old covenant, God visited men and women. In the new covenant, he dwells in them. Old covenant visited, new covenant dwells. Huge difference. Listen to the way that Paul writes about this in the book of Ephesians. He says, in him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. So you you put your faith and you put your hope in that. You were sealed. You're sealed with the promised who? Holy Spirit. As though God said, this is mine. It's a seal of of ownership. It's a seal of identification. We are his. Who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, until we stand in glory, friends, to the praise of his glory. So maybe no more weekend at Bernie's Holy Spirit, huh? He dwells in you. He lives in you. He's alive in you. And I hope that because he is, maybe there's some expectations. Listen to the way that 
Dr. Luke goes on. So he describes this. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We talked about this a few weeks ago. I made the statement that there's a tiny bit of debate, a little bit surrounding um, this idea of tongues. Just a little. Just a little. Um, as I did a word study on the word tongues this week, you want to know what I found out? Here, here's what tongues means. Tongues. That's why you pay me the big bucks. It literally, it can mean at your tongue. It can mean speech, words that you say. It can mean evil words. It can mean good words in the scripture. Um, it can mean intelligible languages, as it does in this case. And it can mean unintelligible, quote-unquote, angelic utterance. It can mean all of those things in the scriptures. But look at this first time the word is mentioned this way. Look at the result. Jump down to Acts chapter 2, verse 11. Here's the result. The people who are there from all over the known world at the time, they declare, we hear them telling in our own tongues, glossa in the Greek, the mighty works of God. The mighty works of God. May I propose to you that we've gotten so caught up and so obsessed with the form that tongues take and the forms they don't take that maybe we've lost the substance. The substance of tongues, the result of tongues is we hear the mighty works of God in a way that we can understand. See, at its core, at its base, this gift of tongues is a spirit-empowered ability to boldly and applicably declare the mighty works of God. That's what it is. It happens all throughout the book of Acts. Sometimes it happens in intelligible languages that people know how to speak. Sometimes it happens by the gift of the Spirit where they're able to speak a different language. But every time it happens, it's tongues. Maybe, maybe, tongues is a gift that every believer gets. See, I think the indwelling spirit of God, it empowers us to boldly proclaim the mighty works of God. We just said the spirit lives inside of us. And if he does live inside of us, we should have some expectations. We should have some expectations that, that he communicates, that he speaks to us, that he leads us, that he guides us, that he works in us. So maybe, maybe when we hear the Spirit speaking inside of us and then speak what the Spirit says, maybe we're speaking in tongues. Maybe it's way more normal and way more spiritual than we think. So what would it look like to renew an expectation? God, if you're, if you're present in me, spirit, if you're living in me, what are you saying to me? I think that's the first question. And then second would follow, what do you want me to do with that? When we see some, somebody who's maybe struggling, do we walk alongside of them and give them a word of encouragement? 
When we see somebody who may be soft towards the gospel, do we, do we speak a word of God's goodness and grace and his mercy? Do we pursue paths of reconciliation and forgiveness? And if we do, when we do, are we speaking in tongues? I've had a number of you. You may not know it. You've spoken in tongues to me. Sometimes it's through a letter that you write that lands on my desk at the exact right time. When I think I just bombed up here and you send me a letter and go, the spirit of God was heavy and you, it was moving and that message that you delivered on Sunday changed my life. And I'm going, this Sunday? Emails that you send, most of them I just delete, but some of, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I forward them. <laughs> no, the emails you send, encouragement. I got a text as I was preparing this message and it was a, a difficult week and there's some challenges that I'm wrestling through and I get a text from my wife, Kelly, and she says, I love you, I'm proud of you, you're a good pastor. She's biased, but she said it. <laughs> and I thought, man, Lord, I, I needed that. Will you open yourself up? See, the Holy Spirit is not, does not resemble Bernie. He's alive. And I think he has words of encouragement for you to speak, words of reconciliation and forgiveness, words of love and hope for you to speak to the people around you. And when you do, you speak in tongues. He didn't know you were charismatic. <laughs> Which simply just means gift, grace gift. So you are. Acts chapter 2 continues, and all were amazed. They were perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Others, and we just recounted what it meant. It meant the new covenant is present, the new covenant is now. God's grace and his mercy and his spirit resides in us. We are the new community of believers. That's what it means to answer their question. But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. The conclusion from the crowd is nine o'clock and they're hammered. That's what, that's what they just said. Hey, wow, these Christians, it's, it's 9 a.m. and they've already been getting after it. Now, here's the thing. In some ways, that's potentially good because um, the Christian community was known for something other than being boring, dead, and bigoted. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Email forward. On. Just what do they observe, though? What do the people observe? They observe this, this group, this 120, this community of believers who have said to the Spirit of God, work in me, use me, guide me. My lips will speak for you. My hands will work for you. My feet will walk for you. Where do you want us to go and what do you want us to do? That's what they observe. They observe a group of believers 
who the, the, the spirit dwells in them and they selflessly submit control of their lives over to the spirit of God. You see, Pentecostal Christians are those who live an unexpected life. An unexpected life. Uh, not a life without expectations, though. A life of huge expectations, just ones that they don't choreograph and they don't control and they don't call the shots of. There's a big difference. We're invited to say back to the spirit that lives in us, how might you want to use me today? What might you want to say? I read one commentator who made the point. He said, if you were to take the Holy Spirit out of the book of Acts, you would remove 90% of the content from the book. He went on to say, if you were to remove the Holy Spirit from the church, I think about 90% would continue. Friends, what might it look like to renew a dependence on the Spirit in a way where we give control over to him? In some ways, that's terrifying. Uh, last weekend, I had the chance to go and officiate a wedding for a few of my former staff members. It was a beautiful time, and, and I left uh, midday, and I worked the first part of the day and was running late. It's not usually my MO. I like to be early wherever I go. And so I take the tollway around, and I'm running through the airport, and I got to that, what I'm sure is a completely random little iPad they have there now that says, yes, you can go in the quick line, or no, you, can, you have to go and take off your belt and your shoes and everything. And, and I got to go in the quick line, like, praise the Lord. All I had to do was take my phone out of my pocket, my keys out of my pocket, and walk right through the security. And so I took my phone out, I took my keys out, and I put them in my bag, and I unzipped my bag and put them in and thought to myself, I'm going to grab those right when I get through the line, and, and, and I'll be fine. Well, I was in such a hurry that I forgot. And so I grabbed my bag off of the little, um, little conveyor belt thing, and I started to run for the train that was heading to the concourse I needed to go to. And as I ran there, I thought the doors opened right up as I hit down the base level. And I'm like, oh, God is with me. And I hopped on the train and I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm going to make my flight pray. All praise goes to Jesus, right? And so, and I'm check my pocket to try to figure out what time it was to see if I'm going to make my flight. And it wasn't there. And I went, oh, yeah, I put it in my bag. And I went down and I reached into my bag and there was no phone and there were no keys, and as I realized this, the very moment I realized this, the doors went, going to concourse, hey, ching, ching, done. And I'm like, oh, man, oh, no. I wonder if maybe, maybe God's invitation to us is a little bit more like that than what we often play in church. be along for his ride where he controls where he calls the shots not one where we dress him and prop him up and he says what we think he should say which is really just what we'd say but one where we actually say to the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us you are alive you have control what do you want to do what do you want to do This passage in Acts isn't the only place that 
being controlled, being indwelt with the Spirit is, is equi- not equated, but compared to being intoxicated. It's not. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes this to the Ephesian church. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So, so he's saying, all right, there's some correlations here. When you're, when you're filled with wine, here's what it leads to. It leads to debauchery. But, but, almost in the same way, when you're filled with the Spirit, it leads to something as well. Speaking. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Maybe, maybe speaking in tongues to one another. What might it look like to give control to the Spirit who lives within us? You see, the Spirit-filled life is bursting with great expectation for the unchoreographed and uncontrolled move of God both in and through us. He longs to get out of you. But I think maybe for so long we've just propped him up and said, all right, well, we're going to dress you, we're going to control you, and we're going to tell you what to say. And, and so maybe today we just go back to God and say, God, let's just start square one. You're alive in me. Wow. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? How do I release control? How do I begin to expect that as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, that God has preordained, that he has good works for me, waiting for me to walk into. How does the spirit of God connect me to those things he's invited me to, called me to, and planned before I was even a dream in my parents' head? How does, he, how does he do that? And what does it look like to live with expectation that he would, not just on some days, but on every day? How do we create space in our lives for not the burning spirit? You'll need any space for that. For the Holy Spirit, who's alive. Well, our, our passage in Acts concludes with Peter quoting from the book of Joel. It was an Old Testament prophecy. Joel was an Old Testament prophet. And you know what's interesting about Peter? Here's what I love about Peter. At this point, he has a decision to make. Do I run with this? And if I do, I can go anywhere I want? Do I try to control this? Here's what we know about Peter from the way he responds. Peter is uninterested in an ungrounded, unbiblical spiritual experience. So here's what he does. He says, all right, onlookers and people who are part of this speaking in tongues, the spirit dwelling, the spirit resting, all this. Here, here's, let me give you some context for that, he says. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea. And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. That's, that's, hey, listen up, listen up. These people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Just a quick time out, I love his reasoning. They're not drunk, it's only nine o'clock. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Context. 
in the last days. It shall be, God declares. This is God speaking. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. On every, even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter says, that day is today. That day is today. And what Peter invites this community of believers to, what he invites you and I to, is to live the Pentecostal, if you'll allow me to use that term, life. Where the Spirit resides and dwells within us, lives in us, and because he does, things change. Please notice, please notice that he goes to great lengths to invite us to believe and to trust that this promise of the Spirit's dwelling is for everybody. Men and women, slaves and free, leaders and just quote-unquote normal people, they are all invited to this new covenant, new promise, Spirit and dwelling, not burning, Holy Spirit alive and well, speaking, leading, guiding. And he says some of the distinctives of this new community, some of the distinctives of the new community is they are a community that has dreams and has visions, that trusts that God is not done with this world, that trusts he is working within us and pushing us forward, catapulting us into the world to make a difference. You see, God never gives spiritual gifts for the gifting of the person themselves. He always gives them for the changing of his world. And so in Pentecost, what happens is God pulls back this slingshot, the Holy Spirit living inside of the believers, and he launches them to make a difference. And he says the, the young people, they'll have visions. And the old people dream dreams. Isn't that interesting? Young people that often have such vigor and such passion for life want to make a difference and then find out it's going to be really hard to do so and often give up on their vision. And, young, and, and older people who often, their vision is in their rearview mirror. And God says, not so with my new community. Everybody, everybody is part of this dialogue with the spirit where where visions and dreams and hopes from the throne of God flow down into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and find root in our souls. You see, the indwelling of the spirit empowers you and I to courageously embrace the vision and dreams of his kingdom. Now, there's two ways this often plays out. 
One is God uses visions and dreams in order to guide his people. He gives them direction sometimes, not all the time, sometimes through visions and dreams. Can I tell you, I don't know that I've told the story from uh, the pulpit here before. One of the reasons I'm here with you today is because of a dream. I woke up in the middle of the night two years before I'd ever heard about this little funky place called South Fellowship Church (laughs) with the most vivid dream I'd ever had. I woke up and it was so vivid. I woke Kelly up, my wife Kelly up in the middle of the night and I said, I had the most real dream I've ever had in my entire life. She said, what was it? And I said, I'm the pastor of a church that meets in a strip mall. (laughs) Now, God showed me a lot in the dream about this church. He didn't show me the outside, praise be to God. (laughs) The inside. And so I said, here's the distinctives that I know about it. One, it's a strip mall. Two, it has a lot of tan paint. And three, it has a ton of shrubbery inside. Plants inside. You walk out that door and go, yes and amen, we do. Went back to bed, didn't think anything of it. Well, I thought a little bit of it. Until about two years later, I saw an ad on Denver Seminary's website. South Fellowship Church, looking for a lead pastor. I did a little bit of searching, and I found out on their website, they're pretty proud of the fact that this church meets in a strip mall. (laughs) And so I immediately felt this Something rising in my spirit where God's going, yep. Now, I wasn't ready to move. I had been preaching about 10 times a year in our main service there at the church that I was in, but really liking what I was doing. But God was stirring something in me where I wanted to lead in a a different capacity. And so I created a resume and I sent it to a man named Dave Carlson. I'll tell you what. I'm not here because of the dream, but without the dream, I wouldn't be here. And sometimes God uses those types of situations to get us to the exact place he wants us to be. Other times he says, what do you want to do? Make a decision. Go for it. Sometimes he uses dreams as motivation That's why some of you volunteer with the food bank. That's why some of you give your time to North Littleton Promise. That's why some of you uh, are participating with Alternatives Pregnancy Center. It's the reason that we sent out a mailer to a few thousand homes in our area. Why? Because we're dreaming, we're hoping that God would use something trivial like that to redeem people. To offer his hope and his life. So what dreams flow, what visions flow from the throne of God and find root in your soul? It's not going to be easy to live them out. Don't give up on them, though. Don't give up on them. Just because it doesn't happen right away does not mean that God is not in it. Notice Peter says, the spirit falls on all And sons and daughters, they prophesy. Young men see visions. Old men dream dreams. And he goes, and everyone in between, they do the same thing. What does it look like 
to go back to God to say to him, God, what does it look like to live as Pentecostal Christians? Who know that your spirit dwells in us, not like burning, but alive and well, living and active. Well, we celebrate Palm Sunday today. It's the day where many people, the Jewish faith, gravitated towards Jerusalem and and Jesus gets on a donkey, a little donkey, and he rides into town and they take off their coats and they lay them down on the streets and they grab palm branches and they cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, God, save us. And they have in this picture, in their mind, this picture of what that looks like. It looks like a political king who's going to come and is going to overthrow the Roman Empire and is going to elevate Israel back to its quote-unquote rightful place. Jesus is highly disappointing to those people. Because on a Sunday, they lay down their coats and they pick up their palm branches and they cry out, Hosanna, and then five days later, you know the story, they yell, crucify. And I've always thought, how fickle. Five days? Come on. Come on. Like you can't maintain for a few more days. Five days and you're going to turn that quick on him? And as I started to pick up stones to throw, I just sensed the Holy Spirit saying to me, Ryan, you do the same. You do the same. You may not do it with Jesus, the Messiah, but you do it with the Holy Spirit. Because, Ryan, you're a lot more comfortable with the burning Holy Spirit than you are with the Holy Spirit. And so, Ryan, it's easy to yell Hosanna on a Sunday morning with a few hundred of your good friends who think exactly like you do. But it's a lot harder to yell Hosanna. Holy Spirit, come. Work. Move. When maybe he invites me to do things that I wouldn't think to do. So I wonder, I wonder for us as a community of believers, what the Spirit might be inviting us to. See, there's this word that's associated with the Holy Spirit almost every time he's referenced in the New Testament scriptures. It's this word, receive. Not work for, not earn, just simply open up to and receive. So my prayer for you, for me, for us is that we wouldn't yell crucify, but that we would receive him, the Holy Spirit, who dwells inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus. He does, and maybe this morning is just simply believing that, but he lives inside of you. And my hope and my ardent expectation is that this living, active God would be changing us, shaping us, molding us, and then launching us into the world that he might use us to make a difference. Friends, if you follow Jesus, you're a Pentecostal Christian. Spirit lives inside of you. May we learn more and more what it looks like to live out what he stirs within. Will you pray with me?
This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.